Welcome to Translating Aging, a podcast about how the science of human longevity is transforming the way we treat disease. In each episode, we bring you conversations with the researchers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders who are working at the vanguard of the field. Translating Aging is produced by BioH Labs, a clinical stage biotechnology company developing therapies to extend healthy lifespan by targeting the molecular causes of aging. I'm Chris Patil, VP of Media at BioH. Today, we're trying something a little different. Last week, I had the privilege of moderating a panel at the SynBioBeta conference, the industry-leading meeting on synthetic biology. This year, the conference introduced a longevity track sponsored by BioAge and other companies in our sector. Starting from the premise that synthetic biology enthusiasts and longevity advocates both believe that harnessing the power of biology can change the world for the better, the panel I led brought together community builders from SynBio and Longevity to explore the exciting possibilities that could emerge from collaboration and cross-disciplinary outreach between our two fields. The overarching question was, how can the passion, innovation, and drive of the SynBio community accelerate advances in lifespan extension? All right, without further ado, here's the panel. Let's introduce our panelists, uh, starting with you, Dan. Yes, so I'm Dan Goodman. I am a postdoctoral fellow at UCSF. I guess I'm the sort of uh, the synthetic biologist among the group. Um, I certainly am closer to synthetic biology than I am to longevity, but I would say my my true passion, my true my calling is engineering immune cells and transforming the way we do medicine centered around delivering DNA to the immune system. And you can talk to me about that later if you'd like, but I think I think longevity and synthetic biology are definitely like overlapping circles with that. And I'm I'm just really excited where everything's going. And I think I'm really excited to talk about uh, all these things together this afternoon. I'm Kat Kajerowitz. I'm a PhD student at MIT and the Whitehead Institute for Biomedical Research in Boston. And I also co-founded a synthetic biology community a few years ago called DNA Deviance. So I really just appreciate being able to work as a scientist, work as a community builder, and really kind of try to bring talent and folks together. So I'm really happy to talk about Synbio longevity, how those communities overlap, and really just how to get folks into the space who have either high potential or in something holding them back from really being at their kind of true uh, peak. Awesome. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm uh, the co-founder of the Longevity Biotech Fellowship alongside Mark Hamelainen over here. Woo. Shout out to Mark. Um, yeah, we do community building in the longevity space. We're trying to get more people to work on the problem of aging. Basically, we run this fellowship program. It consists of a three-day uh, intensive workshop retreat in person, but also a 12-week uh, online program. And uh, yeah, so we're announcing our next cohort soon, I guess today, and open for applications. So go to longbiofellowship.org if you're interested. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie Dano. I'm the executive director of Lifespan.io. It's a 501c3 nonprofit advocacy foundation that's been around for almost 10 years, so way before Longevity Biotech was actually becoming popular. On the side, I'm also an advisor at IndieBio and a business mentor for UC Davis uh, Venture Catalyst. So my background is more business development, business strategy, and helping kind of connect dots that aren't obvious, especially as it relates to communities that might not seem like they have connection. So for example... If you go out on the street and you meet someone random and you say, hey, how can synthetic biology and longevity biotech actually collaborate and generate something valuable? The answer is probably going to take a few seconds, right? But I'm there to help translate what those optionalities are. And we're really excited to be here today to discuss how we can move the field forward faster. I'm Chris Patil. I'm the VP of Media at BioAge. BioAge is a clinical stage biotech company that is targeting aging in order to treat disease. Relevant to the topic today, I'm also the host of Translating Aging, which is a podcast that features the researchers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders who are advancing the vanguard of the field of longevity. 
And it's a real pleasure to be here. I think that the panel was predicated on the idea that synthetic biology and longevity share a deep premise, which is that biology, regardless of your tool set, can help build a better world. And that there's a lot of overlap between people who are interested in synthetic biology and longevity, and as somebody just mentioned, space and crypto. So we're here to talk in AI, and we're here to talk about how the Symbio and longevity communities can work together. And I think if it has a polarity, we're talking about especially how to bring the enthusiasm and passion of Symbio into the longevity field. So there are a couple of things I want to do to establish the relevance and importance of this topic. And the first thing I'd like to do is ask Stephanie to just quickly run through kind of the state of play in the longevity field and maybe say one or two words about why it's important. Thank you. So I'll also let Nathan uh, chime in at any point, but I think what's relevant to the community here is that you need to know we don't have enough talent in the space. We need help, right? And uh, aside from the fact that I think market is a bit troubling right now from an economic perspective, a lot of the people out there also don't understand the reality of the situation with longevity biotech. A lot of, of the older generation think it's science fiction. And we're here to communicate to them that Times have changed. Technology has developed. There have been momentous paradigm shifts, especially in the work that synthetic biology people are working on. And so with that said, we need support. And so we're going to talk about collaboration today. And there's a lot of work going on in the labs that's underrepresented. And uh, we need to communicate it effectively to get more people on board and understand the mm. opportunity ahead of us. Yeah. So just to add on to that, this is my first time at SynBioVeda, and it's been really cool. We man a booth at uh, on the exhibition floor, and uh, a lot of people come up to us, and they don't have any background or understanding of what's going on in the longevity field, and uh, I get a lot of questions. But um, I think one of the things that we want to really like nail home in terms of like you know what is the goal of longevity biotech? It's it's to help people live healthier for longer, and I think that's something that everybody here can get behind. It's not just for billionaires or anything like that. We're all really working on a really core problem that is, you know, a moral imperative for us to work on. And, uh, and I guess the other thing that we should also mention is a lot of people here ask me the difference between, you know, working on diseases of aging versus aging itself. And um, there's this thing that I think a lot of people aren't aware of is just like that, you know, age-related diseases like cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, uh, even cancer. These are late-stage manifestations of the aging process itself. So you know, it might be easier for us to treat these diseases, prevent them if we target the root cause of them, which is aging itself. So that's something that we want to evangelize here amongst the people who aren't familiar with what's going on in longevity as well. Especially because it's not a traditional academic discipline. We are trying to overcome those lack of opportunities as well. Uh, and we need to teach each other, but Nathan pretty much summed it up. It is real. And uh, there's a lot when you think about the root cause of all the diseases that everyone else might be studying as aging itself. All right. Let's justify ourselves further by arguing that synthetic biology can do a lot to help longevity. I want to open this with that end of the group. Let's start with Dan. Dan Freeform. Hi. Start us off. How do you think that the tools and approaches of synthetic biology can help the longevity field? Yeah. So I have two kind of thought-provoking points here. The first is that I work in cancer, so my specific interests right now revolve around CAR-T therapy. And so for those of you who don't know that, probably most people do, it's that you essentially are delivering new information to existing T-cells in your body. You take them out first, you genetically modify them to essentially reprogram them to fight cancer instead of whatever they were fighting before, put them back into the body. And I mean, I think it was not invented by synthetic biologists, but I think it's clearly 
you could call that synthetic biology, right? And I think now we're using tools of, of like sort of quote unquote traditional synthetic biology to really supercharge that and think about what else can we do to engineer T cells for cancer and also for other diseases. So I think to say that synthetic biology is not ready for this kind of thing, I would say, you know, CAR T's in the clinic, it's saving many, many people's lives and that's going to continue to compound exponentially over the coming years. And then the second point thing I'd point out is that you know, people think about, you know, delivering nucleic acids to cells is also very risky and, and expensive and people aren't going to do it anytime soon. But if you think about probably everyone in this room has synthetic nucleic acids in their, has had them in their bodies in, in the form of the RNA vaccines, right? So like someone synthesized nucleic acids, put them in a little bit nanoparticle, lived them to your body, those went to your cells, those got translated into proteins and it made a vaccine in that case, but you can imagine making any protein. Right. And I think thinking about things in terms of delivering nucleic acids, whether that's a car or a vaccine or other programs to cells, I mean, it's really an exciting time to think about the possibilities. And I think the, the problem is that, you know, longevity is a very nebulous thing and it's very hard to think about what that type of looks like. But if you attack it, and we can talk about this further from the standpoint of in disease indications, right? Like cancer, like heart disease, and we understand with synthetic biology tools, those processes, the disease processes, we can intervene earlier and earlier. And it'll start when cars first happened, only the very sickest patients had nothing else worked for would they touch a patient with a car. And now it is becoming the first line therapy for children that have blood cancers, right? So it is really, if you think of what's going to happen as we get more and more comfortable and we get more and more skilled at deploying these tools for disease It'll be to the point, I believe, that healthy people will be willing to take these sorts of therapies and we can do so much to modify the body and the immune system to affect things like longevity. That was great. And so just really quickly, kind of the type of tools I work on is really expanding um, into finding better models. So I think where I drive the most inspiration is from really looking to nature and seeing, okay, this organism, you know, this whatever just has an extraordinary ability to do X. And then it's kind of figuring out, okay, can we actually figure out what, you know, what is driving X? Is there, a, are there genetic pathways that are really leading to that? Um, and I think we would do the same thing for longevity. If you find an animal and organism that really has unique properties that you think are huge drivers of aging, if we find, if we develop tools to really be able to work in those genomes, I think that would um, really just kind of expand the models that we could uh, come through. So that's a lot of where my own work and inspiration comes from. But just to kind of like then take it back to like the whole like talent uh, conversation we're having and how to get amazing folks in the space. Often I find folks working on problems really directly relevant to aging longevity, but they don't really consider themselves like either they just don't consider themselves being part of the field or they're like the only person in a lab where they don't really have that community and they really can't bounce ideas of like where to take that to the next stage. So that's kind of one, I guess, not maybe frustration, but observation I found and then the other would be then how do we, uh, where, where should you build if you're interested in really kind of tackling longevity since it isn't like a traditional discipline in academia? Is that should we be pushing to make it one or in addition to, or maybe not really focusing on that right now, but really kind of going more all in on getting folks outside of academia to, you know, get there's more money coming in the space and build faster there. So that's something that myself always think of. And when folks kind of come to me being interested in longevity, kind of walking them through the DMAs of where should you be building, depending on what, you know, what you want to target, what you want to develop. That's kind of how I approach the whole like talent and community and longevity. That's fantastic. And before we move toward the actual building of community, I just want to open up the conversation further and talk about opportunities for collaboration between SynBio and longevity. One thing that strikes me is informatics and computer 
computational technologies are very important to both disciplines and could be a fertile ground for conversation across disciplinary lines. Are there other kinds of opportunities we can think of? Are there other kinds of technologies on the horizon that would be very exciting for longevity coming out of SynBio? Um, and really, free-for-all. I mean, of course, uh, delivery and target discovery. I think delivery just obviously like a big one for biotech, so that can't be overstated. But with target discovery, to me, like that's the most fascinating point at which you can work in. But it's also really cheap because things have to work. You have to have like really good next steps of how are you going to validate um, and I think with longevity specifically, since aging, how do we define aging? That's always a contentious question. Um, really making sure that what you're trying to go after is a really robust or very well kind of defined phenotype. I think that's like the biggest struggle with um, aging and longevity given that complexity. Yeah. So I, I would definitely say coming up with model systems that are approachable with synthetic biology tools is, is really challenging. And that's one side of it, right? So thinking about mouse models or other organoid or cell culture models that, you know, can approach some part of the longevity problem that you can attack with the tools of synthetic biology and, and genetically engineered cells or any other sort of delivery question. And the other side of it, I would say is I think synthetic biology has a lot to offer as far as sort of like measurement and diagnostics and being able to cheaply and at scale measure the effects of aging and the effects of longevity therapies on large populations Right. I mean, I think, you know, RNA sensors, you can imagine a whole slew of technologies that are, you know, from the Wortland Synthetic Biology that you can use to better understand what's happening in people and use that data to further, you know, build understanding and, and build the next generation of longevity therapies. Okay. So getting back to something that Kat alluded to in one of her earlier answers, moving on out of the community building part of the conversation, Kat, you talked about the kind of it's obvious that the community can help each other. So I'm going to ask this side of the conversation now. Why do you think these two communities haven't already come together? And, and are there misconceptions or barriers, such as the ones that Kat alluded to, that have been a problem to you in bringing tech talent into the field? Let's start with Stephanie and move on to Nathan. I think we should start off by recognizing that we all have really deeply seated belief systems that have come from you know, the environment that we were raised in, uh, what we've read, our parents, their generations, their ethnicities, their religions, right? And when it comes to aging, a lot of people, you are under the impression that you're born, you will age, there probably will be suffering, and then you will die. And that is kind of the cycle of life, right? That's kind of a standard. And I think this field is pushing that narrative in a direction that is uncomfortable because we're not used to it. And we have to recognize that first and foremost, otherwise we can never get past it. And being able to expand on that notion and that way of thinking requires very strategic communications and education. And for some, entertainment, right? That's a new way of learning. And so beyond that, another point I'd like to make is that in the academic setting, the traditional for that matter, you keep narrowing your focus as you get further and further along that career path and you lose opportunities to learn and build a skill around communicating with people who are completely in a different discipline. And you're not incentivized to do that. So that's another thing. I think one is awareness and your belief system, and another is incentive structure. These are social constructs that are built, right? And we are deep in them. We are living in a system and a mindset that's really, really hard to break out of. So I think one of the first steps to developing community and actually progressing the field for everyone is better communication. And I think that also starts with better questions. And luckily, I think with the onset of ChatGPT and the opportunities it presents, we as a society will become better at asking questions 
And I think that is a big deficit right now, right? If someone says, you know, oh, you work in longevity, what does that mean? Oh, you know, you're trying to live forever. Oh, we'll have immortal dictators. Oh, you know, it's only going to be for the rich. Or, oh, you work in Botox. Immediate misconceptions will pop in your head. Whereas a different question is, oh, what does longevity mean, right? Instead of making the assumptions. So I'll pause. There's a lot more there, but food for thought. Yeah. Yeah, really great points. And uh, I can definitely like sympathize with you and agree with this whole idea of like, people tend to like hyper specialize into things and they self identify with like a certain field that they work in. So then they won't really branch out to other fields. Like, you know, this is the first time that I've been to a conference outside of longevity. So yeah, I'm guilty of this. And I think we should do more of that. So actually, at the Longevity Biotech Fellowship, one of the things, one of our grand strategies to bring out, uh, bring in people from outside of longevity field is to go to different conferences like, you know, synthetic biology conferences like SynBioBeta, other conferences like, you know, computational bio or automation conferences. These are like lab automation. These are things that we want to do to bring in people who have different skill set, but also different ways of thinking. I think that's really important too. But then uh, to your other point, I think, you know, people are trying to make inroads. So obviously what Kat's doing with DNA deviance, like uh, originally like more uh, in their title, it's more like synthetic biology, but they have like an aging section in their Slack and they do a lot of uh, journal clubs on aging papers. So that's really good to like cross-pollinate different ideas. Um, and then I guess the last point that I was going to say, yeah, I think just uh, focusing on the commonalities as well. So um, this morning I-, I saw that there was a panel here on overcoming misconceptions in uh, synthetic biology. So in the synthetic biology community, I think there's like people who might be a worry of synthetic bio in terms of like GMO and stuff like that and uh, messing with nature and not doing things that are unnatural. And I think we get a lot of that from the, you know, in the longevity community where people are like, oh, it's unnatural to live longer or something like that. And I think we can learn from the ways that we can communicate to address, you know, certain problems or, or obstacles that are common to both communities. Yeah. I mean, just to prompt some conversation from the other end of the other end of the row, um, Kat, you've done a lot of community building yourself. And so what are the challenges of that? And like, maybe you could speak to the challenge of bringing people together across disciplinary lines. And Dan, I'm particularly interested in hearing from you about like, what would bring you further into the longevity fold? So uh, <laughs> food for thought, you're literally allowed to say anything you want. So well, thank you, Nathan. That was a great plug. <laughs> the Journal Club, uh, if you want to ever host a session with us on a paper, please get in touch. But I think the challenge, well, so when we first started, we had a very different audience from who we have now. Like now it's a mix of folks in biotech and academia, VCs, people who just want our interest in the topic that we're presenting that given time, the, the crowd changes. So I think one lesson that we had to learn was always know your audience and know who, if you're hosting an event or you're hosting a journal club, whatever session, who is coming, find ways to kind of understand who's going to be there. Because the way you kind of present the information, the way you try to sort, sort of socially engineer the event to make sure certain folks meet each other so they kind of leave the event feeling like they either learned something new or they connected with someone who maybe could help them with something they're kind of working through and figuring out. I think that's been like the biggest lesson of just find ways to organically get information about who's going to be part of that situation. And so that that just kind of came with trial and error of we hosted some way too technical journal clubs where then we would get questions at the end and people were like, wait, so what was the plasmid? And we're like, okay, shoot, like we totally like just waste a lot of folks time because that's, I think, the worst thing that you do where you throw information at someone 
And they're not, they don't leave that situation feeling productive of this is what I should look up next. This is who I should talk to. So I think for me, the like moving forward, it's going to be still kind of iterating on that on what's the goal are, is my time not being wasted? Is, uh, people who are also part of that conversation situation, is their time not being wasted? And how can they leave with, you know, a tangible kind of next step or action item? Okay. So your question to me was, what would bring me more into the longevity fold, right? Um, as a synthetic biologist. So I think there's sort of two sides to that. I had some time to think about it. So you were talking. I was listening as well. So I think on the one side, I am, I actually mentioned that in my intro, I am an advisor to a retro bio in that sort of longevity company. But I guess I'm an advisor to you guys because I care a lot about the immune system and T cells and how to make them better. Right. And I think this is kind of where I'm going with my first point. It's that it used to be that every disease was siloed. People, if you were interested in the heart or the brain or the immune system or whatever, it was very much like the biology of that system was very much unique to that system. And as we learn more, especially from me, the vantage point of the immune system, that touches every organ, every disease, those cells go everywhere. And so it's an amazing opportunity to understand how that system works and, and, and how to manipulate it to touch all kinds of different parts of the body, different diseases. So as we learn more about the systems and we get better at it, you realize that all these things are connected, right? So the reason that your heart stops working and the reason that your immune system fails, they're all interconnected. And I think that as the biology gets more into focus for aging and, and how systems age and how they are interconnected, it becomes easier for synthetic biologists to say, aha, this is the point at which we can intervene and we can then develop therapies, develop systems, synthetic genetic systems that will modulate and maintain those systems, right? Those natural systems. So I think that that's kind of how I see it. It's that to the extent that we know more about how the process works, it's easier for someone like me to come in and say, aha, I can make a T cell that will go to this organ or manipulate this plasma protein or make T cells younger, whatever needs to happen. A lot of people, and this is true, I think, for not just synthetic biologists, but biologists in general who want to attack that problem, it just seems so challenging and nebulous. And people, even among longevity enthusiasts, argue what we should be doing and what the right way to intervene is and, you know, telomeres. And there's so many things that's like, yeah, not really. No one really agrees. And I, th I feel like to the extent that we see movement and we can start making mice that live really long and we can even see results in people. There are certain people that can live longer and, and that'll just happen as we cure more cancers. And we, we you know, we talked about PCSK9 at one point uh, and, you know, how it's going to make at some point Diseases like heart disease, you know, not a, not a biggest deal anymore. And we'll start to see that happening before our eyes and people start to wake up and realize this is possible and there'll be more ways to intervene. And that's where people that engineer systems can come in and really start to push that process forward. Just to echo something that Dan said, I think one of the things we repeat to ourselves a lot in the longevity field is the first win is going to be so important because the first time this hypothesis that, you know, so many diseases are based on a common mechanism and that's the smaller number of processes that we call aging, the moment that hypothesis is validated by a therapy that works, it was built through longevity biotech and, and deployed in that way, it's going to attract a lot more interest into the field. Then people who needn't even self-identify as longevity people will say, hey, I've got some great tools, I've got some great talent, and I want to go and work where I can make the greatest impact. All right. And getting stuff done is a great transition to what I thought of as kind of the third and final part of this conversation and the least well-structured on my outline. So I'm going to basically throw it open in a second. And then if the conversation dies down, I'm going to say a word off this piece of paper. So a lot of SynBio people are amazing builders who are looking for challenging problems. And a lot of longevity companies and longevity labs 
and longevity organizations need talented biotech and engineering and software people. So the question that I kind of want us to talk around for the next few minutes is, what can we do here, literally today? And I mean, literally here in this room, okay, and in the audience, people who listen to this very professional recording in the future, to bring those two communities together and actually make something happen. And I think it's nice that we're in a small room, you know, with an intimate group of people, because SymbioBeta used to be so little, you could drown it in a bathtub. All right. It was just John Cumbers on the street with a sandwich board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and now look at it. It's the Oakland Convention Center. And I think it's going to outgrow that within a couple of years. So thinking from those terms, what can people do? Let's talk about what Symbio people can do. Let me know what you think. I think that Symbio started in E. coli and yeast and in vitro systems. Very, very simple, right? And just showing that we could just do the things we were saying, that we could build new proteins, that we could build new, you know, you can go back to the 60s and the first lac operon studies, right? I mean, that was synthetic biology, right? That was the very birthplace of it, I would argue. And you don't jump right into primary cell culture of human cells, right? You you have to sort of prove out all your tools and get there. So I, I, I think part of what needs to happen is there needs to be sort of, the other thing is, I think academic synthetic biology has also been advanced by sort of um, communities and, and tool builders. And you, know, you think about like, iGEM, right? And how all of these different plasmids, and they're not always used all the time, but I think that's kind of, if that's the spirit, and there's a sort of still this kind of open source community spirit in synthetic biology. And I think that advancing that towards the objectives of longevity and, and building systems and models and sharing tools and reagents that will be useful for synthetic biology, for longevity synthetic biology, I think is like a good place for me to, to think about starting. I'm going to push on this one again. Incentive structures matter. And I actually had a thought about five minutes ago. In longevity, there aren't a lot of organizations that have products yet. Forget the supplement side. I'm talking about therapeutics. And therefore, that means that there aren't business development people, which means there's no selling, which means there's no marketing, which means there's no focus on articulation of the best way to create a narrative around the value prop. Mm -hmm. And so we're just scientists doing what we do best. And I wonder... How often do you guys try and convince your five-year-old, yeah, do you actually understand the value of what I'm doing day to day, right? And maybe start there. But getting back to incentive structures, real collaboration happens when people come to a point of intersection where both benefit, right? There are a lot of people in the fields and especially in the Bay Area who have side projects and they're motivated just to be curious, which is fantastic. But that is not the common standard across the planet. So we're kind of in a bubble here. But remembering that that's the case, I think will enable awareness is the first thing to enable any kind of progress or change in current state. When you want to collaborate, be curious about what the other person's motives are. What are their drivers? The first thing you do when you get on a business development call, you don't pitch your product. You don't pitch your thing. Figure out what they want and then fit your thing into what they need and then make it their idea. And I promise you, the outcome will be hundred times more effective. Yeah, awesome. And to build on what Stephanie said, I think, yeah, really understanding your target audience. So people in in synthetic biology, I'm getting the sense here that, like, you know, just from being here over the ca- last couple of days at SymbioBeta, there's like a lot of ambitious energy and out of the box thinking and a lot of tool development. But um, they probably like there's a lot of people who have a lot of different problems, not just within longevity, but like in like, you know, other therapeutic areas like cancer, oncology, um, neurodegenerative disease. They probably 
can't keep track of all these other areas. So I think it's actually probably incumbent on us, like within the longevity community, to go seek out the tool developers because they probably are like inundated with like all this interest from other other players in other different fields. So yeah, I think um, really catering to, towards them and yeah, trying to figure out the best way to make our problems interesting to the synthetic biology community. And I think there's a, a similar spirit, a similar ethos of just trying to like think outside of the box, modify things, right? Whether that's lifespan or you know organisms and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you give us tools and good questions that are clearly posed and reagents and model systems and data sets that we can sink our teeth into, I think you'll find us like very willing to make a lot of progress. The point's very well taken that some of this is incumbent on the longevity community. If we want help, if we want assistance, we want a hardest and other communities passion, we need to go out and get to them. All right. But suppose there's somebody listening to this recording or listening in this room right now who knows a lot about synthetic biology, has a lot of talent, and already knows that they have a little bit of interest in longevity. How can they educate themselves? Now I'm going to read a couple of key words off of this piece of paper to prompt discussion. Online educational resources existing organizations, conferences, Nathan and Stephanie can plug themselves. Okay, great. <laughs> can we just give a hand for Chris? I mean, come on. Um, no, this is fun. This is what it needs to be. It needs to be edutaining. So that's a mixture of education and entertainment. And no, I'm serious though. It's Singularity University. That's what we said we were. We were edutainment. It's a novel idea that we're presenting to the rest of the world. And in order to do that, you need resources. So let's talk about online resources. I'll plug my organization, Lifespan.io. Been around almost 10 years. We started as a crowdfunding platform, giving attention to early stage research that had no visibility whatsoever. And then that garnered funding as well, which de-risks further on investment. And then also we then expanded into a news team. So we have journalists all over the world that are taking press releases and every little bit of, of development and news and turning it into something that's translated in a way where others who may not be scientific can understand. So if you're already a scientist and either you're in longevity or you're not, there are plenty of resources where we've translated it to your level of education. And you can just start getting curious and keep clicking in with 10 years of, of articles. Beyond that, there's a rejuvenation roadmap that tracks all the clinical trials being done nonprofit, for-profit, and it's interactive. And then we also have YouTube channels that we own. One of them has over 3 million subscribers. And a lot of the organizations that we work with are sponsoring, but it's not just saying, hey, you know, this video is sponsored by Retro. We actually create the script and the whole theme of the video around what the organization's working on. And it's an animated series. And we have a whole team that's actually producing this educational content that is designed for the lay public. And then there's lots of other things as well, including our annual conference. And this year it's in New York on August 10th and 11th. But we're changing it because there are plenty of scientific conferences. We want to target everybody. We want them to collaborate. So we're now expanding into decentralized science, which, again, is kind of novel, right? But it's important and people are going to keep working on it. So we need to talk about it and we need to incentivize each other to work with one another. And crypto is an adjacent community. So a lot of wealthy individuals will be there looking for places to put their money. So again, incentives. I'm going to keep saying this because we got to think about it when we communicate with other people. But beyond that, one last thing before I hand it off to, to Nathan, regardless of all the resources and all the organizations out there, we really want to try to deduplicate initiatives. All right. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. We don't have time. We don't have money. We don't have bandwidth. Okay, so before you start something new, 
ask around, see who else is doing that thing and add your value and propel the existing asset instead of trying to figure out, well, are we going to compete? Because if one boat rises, obviously everyone else is going to rise with it. And that's the sacred truth of this industry. Yes, 100% agree. And then to add to maybe some other online resources that you might want to check out at uh, this pop-up city in Montenegro, uh, we decided to run this zero to one course for longevity, basically for people who don't have any background in, in longevity. Uh, it was just like over four days, we recorded this entire course. So if you go to longevitycourse.org, um, the recordings will be there soon. So you can check that out. But then in terms of like communities, so um, one of the things that we really believe in at the Longevity Biotech Fellowship is getting people from outside of our domain to come in and work on the problem of aging. So that could be, you know, synthetic biology, but it could also be like AI, machine learning, software engineering. We want to be able to get people who are ambitious and bright, who have different skill sets, but also a different way of thinking to actually apply their, you know, their skills and uh, their efforts towards, you know, solving this problem of aging. What was really interesting is we, we were doing this like journal club, actually just reminds me a couple of weeks ago on uh, Cynthia Kenyon and her initial paper, look, uh, you know, the first longevity genes and C. elegans. And uh, one thing that she always uh, mentions in her talks uh, when she's talking about, you know, recounting the history is that she came from a different space. She wasn't originally working on aging. She was working on development. And the way that she came up with the hypothesis that there could be like single genes that regulate aging was well, it was informed from her different background, just a different way of thinking. And I think we need to really cross-pollinate different ideas to really you know tackle the problem of aging in different ways. So that's something that we do at the Longevity Biotech Fellowship. And uh, yeah, we're running this cohort program. So if anybody's interested in you know, jump-starting their career, whether that's like joining a startup or co-founding a startup or investing in startups in, in longevity biotech or like creating new organizations to really, you know, push progress in the field, you should check us out at uh, longbiofellowship.org. And so I'll just very briefly say like how I got into longevity and aging. Um, so it was actually through On Deck, the biotech fellowship that, uh, longevity biotech fellowship that Nathan ran previous to this one. And I was doing a journal club on Yuan Chang's paper, the in vivo retinal gene celebrity programming. And Ryuan Chang reached out to me. He was like, oh, you just joined a PhD program at MIT. Do you want to rotate with me? And that's literally how I got just like immersed in the space. I was sort of dabbling around, kind of interested in brain aging, but really didn't have a focus. Um, and then just kind of went more all in of being really interested in this field. And so Ryuan Chang became like a really close science mentor for me. And after that, I uh, introduced me to Alex Colville and Laura Deming, and they've become longevity mentors for me in a different capacity of how could I do something someday outside of academia and really be immersed in um, the non-academic space. And so my suggestion would be find folks who you get along with and kind of trust, really find good mentors. There's so many great resources as well. So you can kind of learn and get to the speed at which you need to be able to know which questions to ask. But really just, yeah, find your community because there's a lot of communities now. There might not be ones that exist that are best for you and others. So then try to build those. But also just, yeah, find find good mentors. I think that's the, the summary. I think that there is a bit of a advertising deficit, right? And I think part of it is, as, as academic especially, the more people take it seriously and these papers get published and people start talking about them and there are things like journal clubs and a young scientist, like starting graduate students, technicians start to take the things that are happening in the field seriously and that's happening, I think it'll be very organic. And that's kind of how it happened to me is I just started talking to people and reading papers and seeing connections with my work and the work in the longevity field. I, I work in cancer and immunology, but those things are increasingly intertwined and that will continue to happen. All, all the different disease silos are coming together around the idea that 
that there are things in common that we'll have to inevitably call longevity science, right? So I think that's what's going to happen. Fantastic. So before we wrap up, I want to initiate the extremely painless audience participation part of this session. We've mentioned a lot of links and a lot of resources, and there's no way you could have written them all down because we didn't give them all verbally. But if you follow this small link here, that's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Symbio Longevity, it will take you to a Google form that just says, give us your email, tell us what field you're from. There's maybe one other thing about yourself. And then we will, to everyone who signs up, now or in the future, we will send a list of resources, all of the ones that are mentioned, including Kat's Boston Longevity Meetups that she didn't manage to plug. And maybe we'll figure out something that we can all do together. So bit.ly slash Symbio Longevity, if you want to follow up and keep in touch in the future. The other thing I want you to do, let's do that activity we did at the beginning again. Like raise your hands if you're a longevity person. Look around the room really fast. Okay, raise your hands if you're a Symbio person. Look around the room, okay? I want you to make an intention to meet someone whose hand was up at a different time than yours. Have a coffee, just say your name, add me on LinkedIn, <laughs> all right? Like, let's have some persistence of this, the people in this room in the future. Um, how are we doing on time? What's the clock time? All right, we have room for a final question. And this is listeners of my podcast, the Translating Aging Podcast, will know that I have kind of a standard final question when I have run out of creative things to ask. But this is where some of the most interesting answers come from. What do you want to see in the future? What is your fantasy of what could happen if the synthetic biology and longevity communities really come together? There's like the short term and the long term. And so I think long term, it sort of all converges in like, you know, all kinds of high science fiction tropes about what happens to humanity, et cetera. I guess I, because of that, I'm more interested in the short term. And I, I do think what I would like to see kind of revolves around regulation and how things are structured. And like, we have this thing like indication creep, like you target these like very defined indications because that's what you're going to make money in. And then the idea is that eventually those therapies will be repurposed and, and broaden the label, off label, et cetera. And thinking about how to kind of speed up that process or change that process, I'm really excited about and like what that looks like. Is it just supplements or like you make it so cheap and easy that just like people can just take it and make it in their basement or like, you know, pass it around or like print their own DNA and inject themselves. I, I don't know what that looks like, but just I, it's frustrating to me how much faster things could go if there was more incentive to make things safe and cheap and also efficacious and it could really be supercharged. But I don't know how to do that in a way that's safe, obviously. But I think that's kind of what I think of as like a, like a short-term goal. A short-term goal, I guess it would take a slightly different angle, is probably to just, uh, to, well, not just, but to really, I would say, improve human health span by at least a couple of, uh, at least like five to 10 years. Yeah. I think Ooh. that would be, <laughs> that would be huge. But yeah, so I'll leave it at that. Just okay. a short answer. 10 more years. Woo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm just going to give a, a medium term answer, I guess. Yeah. Let's be contrarian. Um, no, I just, I just really like the spirit here at Symbio, which is just like this idea of engineering biology, right? Where it's not like this, like uncertain basic research, you know, safari, which might end in like tears and disaster, but it's, you know, something that you can actually, you have a uh, high probability or high confidence that like success is one of the outcomes, potential outcomes that will, that could, you know, come about. And I think, um, that's really 
changing uh, a lot of like the aging biology and drug discovery stuff to more of a, you know, biology engineering mindset is something that I'm just really excited for in the in the near term future, medium term future. Yeah. And, and not only for safety and reduce costs, right? They've yes. Of, yes. How do we get there? It's like proving people that it works. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and then it's not going to cost $10 million. Absolutely. Yeah. So I kind of want to be also contrarian. Instead of giving an answer, because there could be plenty short term, medium term, long term, I want to focus on some word you just said, which is the how, right? And you said, how, how do we prove it? But that's not just the last question to be asked. How do you prove it? Right. I'm sorry. You guys know what I'm saying, right? But I hear a lot of people talking about these grandiose plans. They want this. They want to see that. This is what's possible. But nobody talks about the steps required to get there. And a lot of those steps require better communication, better questions, better sharing of information and understanding incentives. And I'm going to keep saying this because I really think, especially in our spaces, it's not happening enough. I want to see headlines that say, can you believe that these two organizations on completely opposite sides of industry that you would have never imagined would work together, have developed this thing that is game-changing, revolutionary. I want more of that, but we can't get there unless we start with the basic building blocks. We have to take one step at a time with each other, and we need that momentum. Otherwise, it's just, I want this and I want that, and this is an ideal end state. Yeah, that's great, but we are the ones that are actually going to take those actions to get there, and we have to take that responsibility and be accountable. I think that's a great note to end on. I think we managed to get in under time. So I'm just going to close by asking you all to give the panel a great big hand. Okay. Hopefully that was entertaining as well as informative. I want to close as I always do by thanking our listeners, a couple of thousand of you every month. Translating Aging is just about ready to celebrate our second birthday. And I've been really gratified by the positive response from all over the world. We're planning some additional cool projects in our third year, so please stay tuned. As always, if you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes of Translating Aging, you can contact us by email at podcast at bioagelabs.com, on Twitter at bioagepodcast, or via our LinkedIn page. You can also follow our sponsor, BioAge Labs, on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.